This is an audio version of Bio Anchors Review by Jennifer Lin, which was one of the winners of the EA Forum's EA Criticism and Red Teaming competition. In this note, I'll summarise the Bio Anchors report, describe my initial reactions to it, and take a closer look at two disagreements that I have with the background assumptions used by readers of the report. And thanks to Steph Lin for comments on a draft of this review. Audio note, when the author refers to the bio-anchors report, they mean forecasting transformative AI with biological anchors, a report written by Ajaya Kotra in 2020. Section heading, summary of the report. This report attempts to forecast the year when the amount of compute required to train a transformative AI, or TAI, model will first become available. As the year when a forecast for the amount of compute required to train TAI in a given year will intersect a forecast for the amount of compute that will be available for a training run of a single project in a given year. And here is a diagram that shows that logic. So there's a box that says generate 2020 training computation requirements distribution and then an arrow leading to modify by estimate of how compute requirements will fall over time due to incremental algorithmic progress, and then that's pointing at a chart. Then parallel to those boxes that we just saw, we have another couple of boxes. Generate a compute available per dollar forecast for a given year, and that's connected by a multiplication sign to generate a dollars available per project forecast for a given year. And that also has an arrow that points to a graph And the graph itself is effectively just a sketch, so there's no real scale, but the x-axis says year, and the y-axis is flops. And then we have two lines, one which is ascending and one which is descending. The ascending one is flops available for a single project, and the descending one is flops required to train TAI. So obviously the required flops are decreasing all the time, and the flops available are increasing all the time, And that intersection point is the prediction for the year when compute to train TAI is first available. The text goes on. The report estimates the former. That's the amount of compute required to train TAI in a given year. By first estimating the amount of compute needed to train TAI in 2020, assuming that 2020 algorithms anchored to the sizes of various biological processes can scale to TAI, then correcting for how this requirement may fall over time due to incremental algorithmic progress. It estimates the latter by multiplying an estimate for compute available per dollar in a given year with an estimate for dollars available per training run in a given year. Most of the report focuses on generating the 2020 training compute requirements distribution. Heading, the 2020 training compute requirements distribution. The 2020 training compute requirements distribution is taken to be a weighted mixture of independent estimates for how much compute would be required to train TAI in 2020, given each of six bio-anchor hypotheses, where we assume that the size of a transformative model would be similar to that of a certain biological process. The six hypotheses are that, here's a list of six hypotheses, One to three all share a single paragraph, and that is neural network, or NN anchor, with each of three different horizon lengths. TAI will run on an amount of power comparable to the human brain, and have a parameter count comparable to a modern neural network which would use that much power if today's scaling laws continue to hold. I'll explain the meaning of horizon length below. Hypothesis four, genome anchor. TAI will run on an amount of power comparable to the human brain and have a parameter count comparable to the number of bytes in the human genome. 5. Lifetime anchor. The amount of compute needed to train TAI will be comparable to the amount of compute done over the first approximately 32 years of a human life. And hypothesis 6, the final one in this list, evolution anchor. The amount of compute needed to train TAI will be comparable to the amount of compute done in the brains of all animals over the course of evolution. That's the end of the list. Moreover, to generate the final distribution, 
we make small corrections to account for qualitative considerations about the relative efficiency of biological versus ML systems, and truncate by amounts of compute that are already available today. Here's another flowchart demonstrating that process. So we have a box that says generate a forecast of compute required to train TAI given each of six bioanchor hypotheses. And we see that those hypotheses have been grouped, so lifetime and evolution are in one group, anchored directly to the amount of compute performed over the course of the anchor. And the other group is short, neural network with medium horizons and long, and also genome. And it says anchor to the processing power of the brain and size of the biological anchor. Then that is all connected with an arrow to a box that says update against low levels of flop that we can already afford. And then an arrow leads to a box that says return the final distribution as a subjective weighted mixture of the various anchors. And we see a tiny image here, a sort of thumbnail of a graph. Heading. A closer look at the neural network anchor. The neural network anchor is the most complicated of the anchors and also the one that's given the most weight in the report. So let's take a closer look at how it works. In the neural network anchor, we first assume that TAI will use an amount of brain power in units of compute per subjective second, comparable to the human brain, with a small correction. Whereas subjective second is a unit of data corresponding to the amount of information that a typical human can process in one second. Footnote. So for a human, the numerical values of flop per subjective second and flop per second are by definition the same. This unorthodox unit for power is meant to convey the idea that if we could simulate the brain, we could imagine speeding it up in war clock time while still being biologically anchored to the brain. Back to the main text. Let us call this first estimate F flops per subjective second. We then generate an estimate for the number of flops needed to train TAI as follows. We convert F to a number of parameters P of a neural network that would run on that many flops per subjective second by multiplying flops per parameter per forward pass in a typical neural network with a guess for the expected number of forward passes per subjective second that's based on humans. We then convert P to an estimate for the number of data points D needed to train the model by assuming that the functional form of scaling laws for today's ML systems will hold up to TAI. Those laws say that in today's models, the optimal dataset size on which to train a model scales with model size as D equals KP to the power of slash alpha. For parameters K and slash alpha, that should be determined empirically. Importantly, the report defines D in units of horizons, in quotes, which equals an amount of training data needed to tell if a model's performance has improved. So to make the units work out, we finally need to multiply by a conversion factor H for the number of subjective seconds of data per horizon. This is meant to convey the idea that while the scaling laws were derived for supervised learning problems, where a model gets information about the ground truth reward function at each time step, TAI may require reinforcement learning, where a model may need to wait until the end of an episode to tell if a strategy that it adopted part way through the episode has paid off in maximising the total reward. Putting everything together, the neural network anchor estimate for the number of flops needed to train TAI is the product of these ingredients. So here's another diagram. Step 1. Estimate the processing power of TAI as Estimate the power of the human brain And then that's linked by an arrow to a box that says Make adjustments to estimate the power of TAI as F Flops per subjective seconds Then step 2. Estimate flops needed to train TAI as F flops per subjective second Multiplied by H Subjective second per horizon, a dimensionless parameter, multiplied by kp to the power of slash alpha horizons, a unit of data, needed to train a neural network with that many parameters. And then outside of that, we also have a couple of boxes feeding in with arrows. We have f flop per subjective second, 
with an arrow that leads to number of parameters p of a neural network that runs on that many flop per subjective second. Heading. My initial reaction. When I first read this report, my reaction was similar to Steve Burns's on the original Less Wrong discussion thread. The TAI scenario I consider most likely is that we'll get it from scaling up some future paradigm that's more efficient than deep learning. So I'm not convinced by bounds set by anchoring deep learning to biological processes in either direction. On the low end, I could imagine that the amount of compute set by the lifetime anchor, or less, could be enough to reach TAI given future conceptual breakthroughs. But breakthroughs themselves are hard to forecast, and I could also imagine that they would take much more than 30 years. So I went in with enormous error bars on my TAI timelines that this report naively doesn't do too much to reduce. Although, I'll give a somewhat more nuanced take on this in the last section of the review. There's a footnote after that mention of future conceptual breakthroughs, and it says, see also this related post by Steve Burns. Brain-inspired AGI and the lifetime anchor. And that's a link. That's the end of the footnote. Heading. Summary of other people's reactions. As I thought about what to focus on in this review, I read some other people's reactions to the report. Among them, I found Eliezer Yudkowsky's response and Holden Konofsky's reply to Eliezer most interesting, because they highlighted background assumptions that seem really cruxy for how a reader might engage with or interpret the report. Footnote. As an aside, I was also intrigued by Carl Schulman's hypothesis that perhaps hardware just dominates all other inputs to timelines, like algorithmic progress. Scott Alexander summarises this view as something like, once the computer's ready, the paradigm will follow. But it seems unclear if this idea passes historical checks. See Paul Cristiano's follow-up comment. And I can't think of a way to test it that would really convince me that it was true since it's the kind of effective law that I would worry could break at any time, even if history supports it so far. But I'll say more about related things in the last section. And there are some links in this footnote to various articles by Carl Schulman and Scott Alexander. That's the end of the footnote. The main text goes on, continuing under the heading Summary of Other People's Reactions. In brief, Eliezer's views are naively pretty similar to mine although he seems to have much shorter TAI timelines than I do. In his post, he argues that TAI timelines will depend on compute plus algorithmic process, plus how the two interact. The report attempts to forecast item number one, but items two and three are the real drivers of progress in his view. Quote, In a way which almost entirely obviates the relevance of compute arguments from human biology, Holden replies that for him, the goal here isn't so much to nail down an exact timeline as it is to softly bound, in quotes, TAI timelines, especially from above, as pushback against the sceptical position that, quote, TAI is nowhere close to happening. See Holden's blog for more on his views, and that's a link. Holden's posts suggest at least two logically independent ways to interpret the report as setting a soft upper bound. 1. Assume that 2020 algorithms can scale up to TAI with efficiency in the ballpark of the biological anchors. Then the year forecasted by the quantitative model softly bounds TAI timelines from above. This is because under this assumption, scaling up 2020 algorithms would at least be one particular path to TAI among many. So although we could get there even faster by inventing a new paradigm, the forecast from brute force scaling gives us a fallback time to TAI. Both the report itself and Holden seem to put significant weight on the hypothesis that 2020 algorithms can scale to TAI. See around page 18 of part 4 of the report. And there's a quote in a footnote here that says, quote, I am committed to the claim that it is likely that researchers could figure out how to combine 2020 architectures and algorithms with an amount of computation between human lifetime computation and evolution computation, as well as arbitrary amounts of training data, to train a transformative model within a few years of trying. 
My model wouldn't be a useful tool for thinking about TAI timelines if you assigned a small probability to this. With that said, I don't currently see a good argument in favour of a probability of 50% or more for the view that the amount of computation required to train a transformative model with 2020 methods is outside this range. Returning to the main text, we're also being referred to Holden's remarks in the section Bounding versus Pinpointing on his less wrong post and remarks in the section Aggressive or Conservative on his blog. And there are two more short footnotes there. The first one reads, I don't literally think that the exact GPT architecture would work to produce TAI, but I think something not too far off would be a strong contender. Another way of putting this is that a slightly modified version of what Eliezer calls tentative and probably false, the 2020 algorithms can scale to TAI, seems to me to be tentative and probably true. And the next footnote has another quote from Holden Konofsky. Quote, The argument I most commonly hear that the report is too aggressive is along the lines of, there's no reason to think that a modern methods-based AI can learn everything a human does using trial and error training, no matter how big the model is and how much training it does. I think this may turn out to be correct, but I wouldn't bet on it. That's the end of the footnote. Returning to the main text, we just finished point one under Holden's posts suggest at least two logically independent ways to interpret the report as setting a soft upper bound. So here's point two. The evolution anchor alone softly bounds TAI timelines without assuming anything about 2020 algorithms. Alternatively, one could treat the evolution anchor alone as a soft upper bound, on the grounds that if we had access to that much compute, we could rerun, in quotes, evolution and find TAI. The report itself doesn't explicitly say this, though see pages 10 and 30 of part 3 for his comments tangentially related to simulating evolution. But Holden seems to take this position towards the end of his blog post. And people elsewhere in the LW AF community have also interpreted the report in this way. There were a couple of footnotes in that paragraph. The first was Holden seems to take this position towards the end of a blog post. And that footnote is a quote that reads, quote, Finally, I note that BioAnchors includes an evolution analysis among the different approaches it considers. I consider the evolution anchor to be very conservative because machine learning is capable of much faster progress than the sort of trial and error associated with natural selection. Even if one believes in something along the lines of human brains reason in unique ways, unmatched and unmatchable by a modern-day AI, it seems that whatever is unique about human brains should be rediscoverable if one is able to essentially rerun the whole history of natural selection. That's the end of that footnote. The other one came at the end of people elsewhere in the LW AF community have also interpreted the report in this way. And it says, see especially Daniel Cockatilo's fun with plus 12 orders of magnitude of compute. That's the end of the footnote. Returning to the main text, we just read points one and two under Holden's post suggests at least two logically independent ways to interpret the report as setting a soft upper bound. And those were, in brief, one, assume that 2020 algorithms can scale up to TAI with efficiency in the ballpark of the biological anchors, then the year forecasted by the quantitative model, softly bounds TAI timelines from above, and point two was the evolution anchor alone softly bounds TAI timelines without assuming anything about 2020 algorithms. Now the author continues. As someone who disagrees with both of these claims and also has relatively long TAI timelines... I'd like to look more closely at them next. Section heading. A closer look at two background assumptions. Heading. Can 2020 algorithms scale to TAI? This first claim is both an explicit assumption of the report and key to one way to interpret it as setting a soft upper bound. However, it's controversial among the set of people who have written about TAI. Footnote. More precisely, these people usually write about human-level AI, not TAI as it's operationalized in the report. For this section, though, let me assume that the two are the same. For example, I would guess that the skeptics would raise the same objections 
to the idea that 2020 algorithms could scale up to the virtual professional program described in the report. Back to the main text. Especially in the neuroscience and cognitive science communities, many people seem not to believe that current algorithms can scale to TAI. See, for example, Lake et al., 2016, Marcus, 2018, Dehane, 2020, Chapter 2, and Kramer Whittlestone, 2021, for a summary. And those are all links. The style of argument by these people is usually to describe qualitative capabilities that they think humans have and that 2020 algorithms may fail to achieve. For example, four speculations at the intersection of the above references are that the current systems may fail to achieve human-level efficiency at few-shot learning of certain tasks, current systems may struggle to learn certain symbolic rules, current systems may struggle in situations that require having concepts and models of the world, and current systems may struggle to reach even infant-level performance on some developmental milestones. There are a number of footnotes there. The first came after, for example, four speculations at the intersection of the above references, and it says, that may not all be independent. The next footnote came after, current systems may struggle to learn certain symbolic rules, and it says, as Gary Marcus especially has emphasised, The next came after current systems may struggle in situations that require having concepts and models of the world. And this footnote reads, As Lake et al. 2016 have emphasised. I think that their claim is especially interesting, so let me summarise it briefly. Given an RL algorithm trained on Atari games, suppose that we perturb the game incrementally, say by moving the starting position of the paddle by a few pixels in Pong or by changing the objective in an object-oriented game like Frostbite, from you win if you reach the igloo to you win if you reach a fish. A human would figure out the new situation after just a little bit of trial and error, but the RL algorithm would require a relatively huge amount of fine-tuning to adjust. Lake et al. speculate that this follows from a failure of deep learning systems to learn flexible representations of the, quote, concepts in the game in a way where they can build models, in quotes, with them. Somewhat more precisely, though still qualitatively, they then explain that a concept-based system should be, one, generative, it should be able to conjure up some sort of schematic of its world model, two, compositional, it should be able to update that schematic to accommodate the appearance of a new entity in an object-oriented game, and three, causal, It should understand, in quotes, in some sense, that the pixels representing the paddle in Pong move the pixels representing the ball. That's the end of that footnote, and the text continues. Personally, I am sympathetic to at least some of these views, but I would also agree with a common counter-argument that their defenders haven't always done a great job of operationalising them. As I mentioned above, these claims are usually expressed in a qualitative way, and some of their proponents have a dubious track record of converting them into predictions for tasks that today's systems should therefore be unable to do. For example, Marcus, 2018, suggested that neural networks trained to learn the identity function on even integers may fail to generalise to odd ones. But neural networks can in fact easily learn this if one makes an appropriate choice of parameterization as discussed in this rebuttal by Mitchell et al. 2018. See also a linked post by Gwern for some recent examples. Heading. A strategy to see if 2020 algorithms can scale to TAI. So can such claims be defended in a more principled way? I think it may be possible using something like the following strategy. 1. Translate the skeptics' claims for qualitative capabilities that are supposedly necessary for TAI into types of internal information flow at inference time that seem necessary to run those capabilities. 2. Then, using progress on transparency and or the science of ML, argue that 2020 algorithms cannot emergently learn that kind of information flow, or can only do so with an exorbitant performance penalty. That's the end of that list of two points. The Alignment Forum post, Can You Get AGI from a Transformer? by Steve Burns, 
contained an inspiring proto-argument of this form. There, he first claimed, in the section Generative Model-Based Information Processing, that a type of information processing involving a search through a space of generative models might be plausibly necessary for AGI. In particular, he argued that this type of information processing could be necessary for compositionality and an ad hoc implementation of causality, the latter in a follow-up comment linked here. So is a more microscopic version of the argument by Lake et al. 2016 that I reviewed in the last footnote. He then conjectured without proof in the section Back to Transformers and GPTN that GPT-3 is in fact emulating such a society of generative models at inference time, but is a poor enough emulation for various reasons that GPT-type models may be unable to scale up to AGI. The two parts of his argument map onto the two-part structure that I have in mind, but I think it may be possible to prove claims of the second type if we understand better what ML systems are doing. Heading. An example of the strategy. I won't be able to do this here for all 2020 algorithms, but here is a toy example of how such an argument could look. According to the Universal Approximation Theorem, or UAT, feed-forward neural networks can in theory represent a function that maps images of arithmetic statements to a classification of whether the statement is true or false, For example, and here's an image that shows numbers in a box, reading 11,273,845 plus 689,946 equals 11,963,791. And then from that box, we have an arrow that points to true. The text goes on. However, I would be surprised if a feed-forward network trained on points from this function could learn to generalise from correctly classifying n-digit arithmetic problems to correctly classifying n-prime greater than n-digit ones. And there was a footnote in this paragraph after can in theory represent a function that maps images, and it reads, of fixed size. So a minor nitpick is that from the start, we shouldn't expect a feed-forward neural network to be able to generalise to correctly classifying images of arithmetic problems that contain arbitrarily large numbers. However, we can still ask if it can generalise to adding somewhat larger numbers that fit onto a fixed number of pixels. So this won't affect my main point. The main text continues. The reason is that successfully executing an arithmetic problem requires an algorithm to carry out a certain internal information flow. A system that learns to do arithmetic needs to learn not just pattern recognition in the least significant digit, for example, 4 plus 5 yields 9, and 8 plus 9 yields 7, but also a way to keep track of whether we carried over a 1 from the previous step. To do the latter, a feed-forward network would have to learn a very odd sort of internal structure, where at each hidden layer, it combines a hidden state from the digits read so far with the raw input of the next significant digit passed up to that layer via an identity function. For example, so here's a diagram showing information flow through different layers of a neural network. So it begins with identity function passing all the other digits forward. And those arrows continue to point right through the different layers of neurons. And then we have sections that are marked, the first one between the first and second layer of neurons, classifier telling us the sum of the first two digits. And now we have a section labelled between the first and third section of neurons, classifier telling us the sum of the next significant digits with carrying from before. And then there's etc. showing that that pattern continues as layers continue. The text goes on. I'm not sure if I've described this well, so let me know if it's confusing and I can try to do better. In theory, a feed-forward network can represent this solution. I just gave the answer in principle. More generally, very large feed-forward networks can represent RNNs that are unrolled for a fixed number of steps, if we insist that some weights of the feed-forward network are tied together and other large chunks of the network learn the identity function. But recent progress in the theory of deep learning suggests that feed-forward networks do not in fact converge to solutions of this type. 
Around 2018, some researchers showed that infinitely wide neural networks are solvable at the end of training. That is, that in the limit of infinitely many gradient descent steps, an infinitely wide neural network converges to a solution that we can write down analytically. Moreover, they show that the solution is isomorphic to the solution of a linear model with random effective features. See the alignment forum post, Recent Progress in the Theory of Neural Networks, that's a link, for a brief review of these ideas, with links to the original references. This may seem like a mere mathematical curiosity, since the neural networks that we deploy in reality have finite width. However, by generalising this work to the next-to-leading order in a one-slash-width expansion, Roberts, Yida and Hanin, 2021, more recently were able to find a closed-form solution for realistic finite-width neural networks at the end of training, to that order in the one-slash-width approximation which turns out to be isomorphic to an analytic solution for a linear model with dynamical features that evolve during training in a known way. See a link here for some preliminary notes reviewing this work. I also plan to write an alignment forum post on it in the future. The upshot is that the class of solutions searched over by feedforward networks in practice seems to be, approximately, the space of linear models with all possible features. This is a big step up from earlier ML algorithms, where one has to hand-engineer the features, but does not, as far as I can tell, contain an emulation of an RNN. So I think this shows, at a physicist's level of rigour, that feedforward networks cannot, in practice, learn to carry out symbolic operations that are represented in a certain way, even if, in theory, we can write down a network that does the job. Heading Back to all 2020 algorithms. Of course, the space of 2020 algorithms contains much more than just feedforward networks. And since I'm unfortunately pretty ignorant about the other architectures, I won't be able to say much about them for now. But I think that the argument sketched here is at least a counterexample to the high-level UAT to TAI logic used in the report to argue that 2020 algorithms can scale to TAI. Without this logic, I don't see a positive reason to believe that they can scale beyond one's subjective feelings about the impressiveness of the algorithms. And my feelings at the moment are that RNNs and transformers also won't scale to TAI, based respectively on a brief look at RNN transparency and on the post by Steve Burns that I summarised above. A footnote here after a brief look at RNN transparency reads, In particular... I get the impression that RNNs, as is, may be too brittle to discover really interesting programs in practice. From a number of papers, including Wiles-Elman, 1995, and Rodriguez et al., 1999, on how RNNs count in a peculiar oscillatory way, Hanaf et al., 2016, on how a toy RNN's ability to learn even very simple tasks can be very sensitive to initialization, and Schwarzschild et al., 2021 on how RNNs can sometimes correctly solve problems by deliberating for n recurrent steps, but forget the correct solution if they deliberate for n prime greater than n steps. But I don't have a solid argument to back this up, and I could imagine that other people might read the same papers and draw the opposite conclusions. For example, the Schwarzschild et al. paper frames its own results as showing how impressive it is that RNNs can learn what seem like fairly advanced classical algorithms when run for a fine-tuned window of inference time. Back to the main text, the author just wrote, My feelings at the moment are that RNNs and transformers also won't scale to TAI, based respectively on a brief look at RNN transparency and on the post by Steve Burns that I summarised above. I'll be the first to admit that this justification is weak, and the question of whether RNNs and transformers can scale to TAI deserves more work. But more importantly, I think that further progress on the science of these architectures could let us conclusively resolve this debate. Comments. And here's a list of comments. The first one. The discussion in this section is related to specific question number one in the BioAnchors reviewer template. 
but I think that I'm slicing up the problem in a different way than the sub-questions there. If I were to answer the sub-questions, I would say that I agree with question 1a, that researchers can specify a model class containing TAI. After all, we can probably embed something like the brain in a much larger feed-forward network that may contain very many copies of the neurons in the brain, along with huge chunks of the network that learn the identity function to mimic recurrent and more complicated connections, like in the example above. And I would disagree with question 1b, that we know how to specify a training setup that can find this model. But my problem is not with SGD. Rather, it is with the way that today's architectures plus weight initializations plus loss functions plus SGD together lead today's training setups to discover a certain class of effective functions at the end of training that does not seem to me to include TAI. I could imagine that SGD would suffice to discover TAI if some of the other three things were different. And there's a footnote here after does not seem to me to include TAI. It says, see one of the equations from page 375 of Roberts et al. 2021 for how each of these four ingredients contributes to the function learned by a feedforward neural network at the end of training. Although the formula may be hard to understand without reading other parts of the book to learn their notation. Back to the main text, here's the second and final point under comments. More generally, I would push back against putting weight on the UAT, since it's in practice an extremely inefficient way of turning neural networks into lookup tables. See this discussion in Michael Nielsen's book. For example, the UAT also applies to k-nearest neighbour, but no one takes this as evidence that we should scale KNNs to TAI. Audio note, this is the second heading under A Closer Look at Two Background Assumptions. The first one was... Can 2020 algorithms scale to TAI? This heading is, Can we rerun evolution with an evolutionary amount of compute? A second way to interpret the report as setting a soft upper bound is to take the evolution anchor alone to be the upper bound on the grounds that if we had to, we could rerun, in quotes, evolution, using that much compute to rediscover TAI. This interpretation wasn't explicitly advocated by the report, but seems to be how some people have chosen to interpret it. For example, here's Daniel Cockatilo in Fun with Plus 12 Orders of Magnitude of Compute. Quote, What fun things could one build with plus 12 orders of magnitude of compute? Suppose that we make a planet-sized virtual world with detailed and realistic physics and graphics. Okay, not perfectly realistic, but much better than any video game currently on the market. Then, we seed it with a bunch of primitive life forms, with a massive variety of initial mental and physical architectures. Perhaps they have a sort of virtual genome, a library of code used to construct their bodies and minds, with modular pieces that get exchanged via sexual reproduction, for those that are into that sort of thing. Then we let it run, for a billion in-game years if necessary, Ajaya estimates that it would take about 10 to the power of 41 flop to do this. End quote. I also disagree that the evolution anchor sets an upper bound on TAI timelines in this way. The reason is that to literally rerun evolution, we would have to simulate, one, a rich and complex enough environment to mimic the Earth over the course of evolution, two, a search space of architectures that includes the architectures of all animal brains, but also is not too much larger than the actual space searched over by evolution, so that we can find comparable solutions with similar efficiency. And three, a way to couple such architectures to the environment, to mimic the selection pressures that led to human-level intelligence in reality. That's into that list of three points. The evolution anchor logically sets an upper bound if we can do all these things and also assume that the run performed by evolution was a, quote, typical run of the search problem. However, I think there's substantial room for disagreement on whether we can do any one of them. So I think the claim that we can rerun evolution sweeps too much under the rug. Heading. My opinion on the three requirements. Personally, I don't think that data set slash environment generation for a would-be simulation will bottleneck progress in the next century. 
given that passable VR exists today. I haven't thought about how much compute it would take to run such an environment, and could imagine that it would turn out to be a significant fraction of the total cost. But I don't see it as being a qualitative bottleneck in getting a rerun of evolution to work. Indeed, I agree with the point made on page 30, part 3, of the report, that there are probably ways to improve on Earth's history as a baseline environment for stimulating the emergence of transformative intelligence. Point number three seems more murky to me, related to open questions around how important embodiment was to the emergence of human cognition. Perhaps one would need to simulate large parts of the sensors and actuators in animals' bodies to have enough complexity for intelligence to arise. However, this also isn't my main disagreement with this idea. Rather, my main disagreement is with point number two. The space of architectures searched over by evolution seems much larger to me than the space of 2020 algorithms, in a way that we don't even know how to specify. For example, the brain seems to have a much more complicated network topology than 2020 algorithms, with an interplay of feedforward and feedback processes playing a key role in some theories of how intelligence might work. Footnote. Although see Wen et al. 2018 for an attempt to implement predictive coding in RNNs. Main text. Other differences include that the dynamical update rule for how the state of a system changes from one moment to the next seems more complicated in brains than in neural networks. The architecture of the brain can change over the lifetime of an organism instead of being fixed at initialization, and so on. A footnote here reads, Although we can in principle mimic architecture change in a 2020 algorithm, by starting with a very large network where we set many of the weights to zero at initialization, then let them evolve to be non-zero over the course of training. But this is still different from an exact brain architecture without a huge number of spurious neurons, much as the embedding of an unrolled RNN in a feedforward network, as discussed on page 8, is different than starting with an exact RNN. That's the end of the footnote, and back in the main text, the paragraph ends with See Marblestone, Wayne, Cording, 2016, for a review. On the other hand, the human brain is our only existence proof of a transformative intelligence. So I don't think a search problem can be said to set an upper bound on TAI, unless the search space plausibly contains a brain-like model. Without so much as a characterization of such a space, I am disinclined to take seriously appeals to brute force search like the evolutionary simulation idea. I'll come back to this in the section below. Comments. And here's a list of two comments. One thing that would update me towards the feasibility of rerunning evolution, in quotes, would be progress on animal brain emulation. Since then, we would at least have some data points from evolution's search space to try to guess the search space from. For example, I would treat a working roundworm simulation as a signal to look more closely at this idea. But my understanding is that there hasn't been much progress on this in recent years. Footnote, see the less wrong post. Whole brain emulation. No progress on CL guns after 10 years. And that's a link. Back to the main text, here's the second comment. Instead of arguing that we can literally return evolution, one can also make a hybrid argument that the evolution anchor sets a soft upper bound on TAI timelines, conditioned on human-designed algorithms being at least as efficient as evolution. Holden says something to this effect at a link here. With a quote in a footnote, I think we have good reason to believe that humans can use computations at least as intelligently as evolution did. End quote. And back to the main text. But if human-designed algorithms are taken to be 2020 algorithms, this reduces to the discussion of the previous section. For example, I tentatively disagree that scaling up simulations like OpenAI's emergent tool use from multi-agent autocurricular, that's a link, will lead to the discovery of long-horizon strategies sufficient for TAI, because I am sceptical that such strategies are among the algorithms that 2020 search problems can find in practice. If human-designed algorithms are taken to include qualitative breakthroughs made between now and 2100, I of course agree that this is theoretically possible, but think that one's belief in the rate of breakthroughs is doing much of the work. Section heading. Ideas for future work. 
To summarise, so far I've pushed back on two ways of interpreting the BioAnchors report as setting a soft upper bound on TAI timelines. In both cases, the underlying generator of my scepticism was that I think new conceptual ideas will be needed for TAI, and conceptual progress seems very hard to forecast. For example, I can't think of a method that could have correctly predicted the rate of theoretical physics progress in the last century, given all the unknown unknowns that came up along the way. Are there, then, any calculations that could convince me to tighten my TAI estimates? Actually, there are a few that I would personally find pretty compelling, although I'm not sure they would convince everyone in the class of sceptics who think that TAI will require conceptual breakthroughs. Now there's a list of potentially convincing arguments. The arguments are listed and then there's detail for each one, so I'll read the arguments first, then the detail. The first, bioanchor estimate for the time when flop to train a transformative model will be affordable in academia. The second is setting an upper bound from search in a space that contains a brain-like model. So the details for bioanchor estimate for the time when flop to train a transformative model will be affordable in academia. One calculation that I'd like to see, that should be relatively easy to do by repurposing what's already been done, is a forecast of when flop to train a transformative model will be cheaply available. Say, the cost of an AlexNet training run in 2012. As someone who thinks that conceptual breakthroughs will be needed for TAI, and that many or most conceptual breakthroughs will come from academia, I'd find the milestone of when academics will be able to quickly test their ideas to be a pretty compelling candidate for being within spitting distance of an all-things-considered TAI timeline. Indeed, I could imagine that there may already be something of an idea overhang, in quotes, with many people having pet theories for how to get to human-level AI but no cheap way to test those theories at scale. There are some footnotes here in this paragraph. One was after, many or most conceptual breakthroughs will come from academia, and it reads, Moreover, I think this is a not uncommon set of assumptions among people who are sceptical about the hypothesis that 2020 algorithms scale to TAI. See, for example, Jan LeCun, linked here, quote, the majority of good ideas will come from academia, even if the most impressive applications come from industry. End quote. And there was another footnote in this paragraph that came after people having pet theories for how to get to human-level AI, and it reads, See, for example, Jan LeCun's A Path Towards Human-Level Intelligence, parts of Lake et al. 2016 on probabilistic programs, and ideas on predictive processing from the neuroscience community. Back to the main text, we're getting to the second of the potentially convincing ideas. Setting an upper bound from search in a space that contains a brain-like model. As I mentioned above, I'm sceptical about the idea of rerunning evolution, in quotes, because I don't think we know how to define a search space that contains a brain-like model. Turning this around, one way to set an upper bound might indeed be to try to define a search space large enough to capture key features of the brain, and then estimate how many flop it would take to iterate through the search with a brute grid or line or evolutionary search. I think a tricky, and maybe even info-hazardous, part of such a project would be to design the space at all. For example, one important feature of the brain may be its non-trivial topology. But search spaces of networks with non-trivial topologies haven't been explored much in neural architecture search or NAS research yet, as far as I know though C. Xie et al. 2019, for an early project along these lines. And there's a footnote here after haven't been explored much in NAS research yet, and it reads, at least as of a few years ago. See Elskin et al. 2019 for a maybe outdated review. It's been a while since I looked into this. Back to the main text. I also worry that the resulting bound from such a calculation might be so large as to be uninteresting but I think it would be more widely accepted as a true upper bound by people who are sceptical about bounding TAI timelines with compute. That's the end of that list of potentially convincing reasons. Two other directions that could have a non-zero impact on my TAI timelines are a forecast for when we'll have animal brain emulations or even nervous system emulations, for example, of the roundworm, 
since this would make the evolution simulation approach seem more viable to me. And progress on the transparency and science of current and future architectures, since this could affect my views on whether 2020 or future algorithms can scale to TAI. And that's the end of that list. However, in both cases, the impact on my all-things-considered timelines would be less direct. Finally, there are some research directions that I'd be curious to see the results for, but which are not directly related to TAI timelines. This is a list of two points with detail under each. I'll read the points first, then the detail. A world tiled by scaled-up MLPs or other architectures? And the second point, forecast time to TAI conditioned on having both a scalable architecture and an adequate amount of compute related to takeoff speeds. So here's the detail for the first, a world tiled by scaled-up MLPs or other architectures. It could be interesting to think about what a world tiled by scaled-up MLPs might look like, given the result that I described on page 8, that MLPs are doing regression with an automated search for the best possible features. I suspect such algorithms aren't enough to have an impact on the scale of the Industrial Revolution, but they would clearly have some impact at scale. Which tasks could be automated and industries disrupted by such algorithms? It could likewise be interesting to think about what a world tiled by scaled-up versions of other specific 2020 architectures, for example transformers, might look like. Once we understand better what said architectures are actually doing, see for example Anthropic's recent work. And here's the second point. Forecast time to TAI conditioned on having both a scalable architecture and an adequate amount of compute related to takeoff speeds. Finally, it could be interesting to try to forecast the time to TAI conditioned on having both an architecture and an amount of compute that could scale to TAI. I think that even if we had both of these things, there would be a lag time, in quotes, to deployment, when we try to get the system to interface with existing pieces of the economy. See some comments linked here by Julian JM for more on this. Indeed, I think my belief in this lag time, in quotes, plays some role in not being personally very worried about AI risk, since I think we will have time to do focused work to align the correct architecture, in quotes, once it shows up on the scene. So it would be nice to know if I'm wrong. But I would have to think some more to turn this into a well-defined idea. For example, it might be hard to make progress without assuming things about the reward structure of the future algorithm that can scale to TAI. This was an audio version of BioAnchor's Review by Jennifer Lin, which was one of the winners of the EA Forum's EA Criticism and Red Teaming competition. This narration was by Perrin Walker and produced by Type 3 Audio.